The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to return to the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 1, and this evening we'd like to look at verses 10 through 13. John chapter 1, and we'll begin reading in verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we've been introduced to the word here in John chapter 1, and in this word, that was God, was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In this word was life. And this word was also the true light. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, here is being introduced as the word. And <clears throat> eventually, making our way to verse 14, that the word was made flesh. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, became a man and the Creator came down to His creation. And it's really just astounding that Jesus, the Son of God, God manifested flesh, was in the world, and the world was made by Him. The Creator came down to His creation, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. In Luke chapter 4, we have this picture of Jesus Christ going to the synagogue in Nazareth, And it's kind of a double-edged sword. In some ways, you would think that Jesus would be the most received by those that knew him well. But on the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of understandable that there's the lowest chance of him being received by those that knew him well. I mean, it, I'm sure it was very difficult to wrap your head around the fact that, that this little child that you saw running around in the streets of Nazareth was God manifest in the flesh. I mean, that'd be difficult to understand. Like, if you've never seen him before, before he showed up, I've, I've never seen Jesus of Nazareth before in my life, and I see him perform this, this amazing miracle that there's no way that a man could do, I'm more inclined to believe that than, again, a, a guy that, that I have seen my whole life. So he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And it's just amazing that Jesus Christ was generally, now by the time he left this world, there was 120, only 120 disciples that were left in that upper room in Acts chapter 1. So as, as a general rule, not 100%, but as a general rule, the world did not receive Jesus. They did not accept and believe him as the Son of God, and it was even he was even more rejected in Nazareth, and uh, essentially, um, you get the indication that almost none of his natural siblings believed on Jesus while he was still alive. It was not until his resurrection 
The most prominent of those being his half-brother James, who ends up being the, the senior pastor, I guess you could say, of the church of Jerusalem. He did not believe on Jesus Christ in his lifetime. Came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And this is a very popular verse in Christianity today. I mean, it's right up there. I would say maybe top five with John 3.16. Right up there. But as with a lot of things in Scripture, you'll notice there's not a period at the end of verse 12. There's a colon. So as with a lot of verses, we have to keep reading to get the full context, right? So we've already read verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And the thought continues in verse 13. It doesn't just continue. It gives you the right context and lens through which you have to look at verse 12. So who are these people that believe on Christ, that God gave them the the power, the the right, the privilege to manifest in a public way that they were the son of God, sons of God. Who were these people? These are people in verse 13 which have already been born again, okay? Which were born, past tense, which were born. And what is the means of the birth of these sons of God? By what avenue and what means were they born again? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So if we find someone that receives him, that believes on Christ, that manifests publicly that they are a son of God, then that is evidence that they are already born again. You don't have to turn to these, but I want to highlight a few verses. Uh, The first of them being in Galatians chapter 4. And much of Christianity would say that you become a son of God. God is looking to expand his family. He's looking for people to receive him, to create a relationship with him. And the means by which you become a son of God is by your decision to receive him. And and John chapter 1 and in verse 12 is one of the primary verses that would be used to, to teach that theology. But instead, we find here in Galatians chapter 4 and in verse 6 and taught all throughout the rest of the word of God. And because ye are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, why did God send his spirit into your heart? Not because you cried, Abba, Father, right? You cry, Abba, Father, because you have already been born again. But why did he send his spirit into your heart? Because you are sons, okay? How did you become a son? How did you become a son? By adoption by adoption. And when were you adopted into God's family? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 and 5, you were adopted in God's family before the foundation of the world, right? When he chose you to be adopted into his family. So first of all, God 
chooses who he desires to be in his family. Those that are his sons receive the Spirit in the new birth. And then those that have been born again have the ability to believe, because only a child of God has the Spirit to be able to understand spiritual things, to be able to hear the gospel and believe the gospel and confess it. So God does not offer the opportunity to become a son of God if we see someone believing. That is evidence that they have already been born again, right? So it's because you are a son of God and God chose you to be his son that God sends forth the spirit of his son into your heart And that is how you cry, Abba, Father. When we see someone professing a belief in Jesus Christ, that is evidence that they have already been born again. And this is one of the clearest examples of that in all the Word of God. So, everyone that's being described in verse 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. All of those that are being described right there are... Those that have already been born again in verse 13, right? Which were born, past tense. They've already been born again. And we'll come back to the rest of that verse in a little bit. As many as received him. This word received has a definition of to take what is one's own To take a thing that is due to oneself, to make one's own, to claim for yourself, to apprehend or lay hold or to seize. Okay? Now, what we're going to see here with that definition, I want to give you a couple other definitions of these these very critical Greek words here here in this verse. The word received means essentially to take possession of what is already rightfully yours. Then you have power. Power. That is the power to exercise a privilege or right that one already has legal authority and ability to perform. Okay? You already have that ability. Well, one of the reasons you have that ability is because you have life. You've been born again, right? So you can't perform spiritual actions of belief unless you have spiritual life and you've already been born again. But furthermore, no one has the right to claim being a son of God and to claim all of the privileges of inheritance of being a son of God unless you're a rightful son of God. Right? I mean, you can't, you can't claim that unless you already have the legal avenue and, and privilege of already being a son. Otherwise, you're just... Uh, an imposter, right? You have to have legal standing to be able to manifest yourself to be a son. And then the word become, become. And this means to arise, to appear, to come upon the stage for a man to appear in public, okay? Let's think about Jesus Christ for a minute. Jesus Christ, especially as we're seeing here affirmed in John chapter 1, is the eternal Son of God, right? He has eternally been the Son of God. But His divinity was not manifested publicly. He did not come onto the stage for other people to 
to be able to see his life and to see his actions and to manifest publicly that he was who he was all along until he was 30 years of age. And then we find in the accounts of Jesus' baptism, particularly those in uh, Matthew chapter 3, that Jesus comes up to John the Baptist and he says, I need to be baptized with you. And John said, well, no, I'm not going to baptize you. You're God. I'm not going to baptize you. And he said, no, no, no. You need to suffer it now to be so, because it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus Christ sets the pattern for us to publicly identify ourselves with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to publicly profess a belief in Christ. And we are baptized and fully immersed in water and raised up out of that water to arise and walk in newness of life. And that is when there is a, a voice from heaven when Jesus is baptized that everyone around that Jordan River could hear with their own ears, God said publicly, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, number one, did that baptism make Jesus the son of God? Well, no, of course not, right? Did the public declaration of of God announcing that this is the Son of God, did that make him the Son of God? No, it did not. He's been the eternal Son of God. But what he did through his actions, setting the pattern for us of belief and then baptism, he acted in such a way that he publicly appeared to be who he already was, right? And that's what that word become means. It means to come up on the stage, almost like an actor, in a play, coming on the stage to manifest the, the role that you have been given. And how is it that we can identify those who show the attributes of being the sons of God here in this world? It's by belief, right? It's by belief in Jesus Christ. And many children of God, God has a people out of every nation, kindred, people in tongue, and some children of God will not manifest that belief as boldly, publicly as they should have. They're going to be timid and not join the church and not press into the kingdom in the manner that they ought. And there's also, there are people in other countries that are never going to hear the good news of the gospel. There, there are men and women that will pass away in this world, most likely, believing in Allah as children of God, because they don't know any different. Now, they have a desire to worship a higher deity. They're not the people going around killing folks. They're the ones that promote peace, and they, they love their family instead of being very harsh to their family. But there are many children of God that will not be manifested publicly to come on stage for everyone else to see, to say, you know what? That's a child of God because they are exhibiting the actions of a son. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5 for just a minute. Matthew chapter 5 here in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is tearing down the old <clears throat> thoughts of the, uh, the Pharisees that had influenced that culture around them. And he tells them here in Matthew chapter 5, again reading, well really, talk about how... Um, Everything he's saying is, is 
countercultural. It's counter to everything they've, they've heard. But I, it's not just the verse preceding this that is describing this. So let's just back up to say verse 38. You've heard that you can take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite you on the right cheek, turn him to the other also. If any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, let him go twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You've heard that you love your neighbor and you're allowed to hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, if someone lived out what Jesus said here on the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, if, someone, if people saw the actions of someone that they were smitten on one cheek, and not only did they turn the other cheek, but instead of starting a riot, instead... They say, I love you and I'm going to pray for you. And then that same person who smote him on the cheek, they need an extra suit of clothes. And I'm going to give him not just my cloak, but I'm going to give your, your, my coat also. That is acting different than the world around us, right? People don't act that way. You're exhibiting love towards your enemies. And then when you have... Someone that says, and that this word compel here uh, is talking primarily about a Roman soldier. So this is not you just somebody wanting you to uh, help them out for a mile that's one of your friends. This is a Roman soldier who you hate telling you you carry my pack for a mile and you were legally, legally obligated to do that. Well, if, you, if he tells you to do it for one mile, you do it too. How many Jews are going to do that? I can tell you. Zero, right? I mean, no, 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 no Jews are going to do that. So if you see somebody doing that, that stands out in a crowd, doesn't it? When people act this way, this really stands out in the world around us. So after he describes all these countercultural actions that are, that are letting your light shine in this world that are going to really make you identify differently than the people around you, he says, you do all these things, verse 45, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth the rain on the just and the unjust. Now, number one, is your going that second mile and you turning the cheek, number one, is that the condition by which you become a child of God and you're born again? <laughs> I don't want that to be the bar. I don't know about you. I mean, I, uh, I don't want a requirement to turn the other cheek, otherwise I'm going to go to hell. I mean, we're all growing in discipleship, right? And I don't think any of us probably have graduated in that degree. Uh, I don't I think any of us are probably going to respond the way anybody would if I get smacked on the, on the one cheek. Uh, you know, their, their cheek's probably going to get smacked too, right? That's just how, that's how we, we function in this world, okay? So I'm glad... That salvation is not by works. That's the summary of what I'm saying, right? Uh, I'm glad that salvation is not by works to get salvation. But I'm also glad that salvation is not by works to keep salvation. 
right? So it's not by something you do to get it, but it's also not by something you do to keep it. Because if this was saying that this is what you have, like this is the bar. You got to love your enemies. You got to turn the other cheek. You got to go the second mile. You got to give them the extra piece of clothing. If that's what require, what's required to be born again, that you may be the children of God, how many people are going to be born again and be in heaven? It's going to be pretty limited, right? As any work salvation is going to really narrow the pool. Uh, of course, praise God, salvation is by grace, right? So what's he talking about <clears throat> right here? He's saying, look, if you act this way to the people around you, you are going to become the sons of God to public display of the people around. It's going to be noticeable to the people around you, right? Because it's, it's so much different. This gets into the courtroom of justification by works. Very similar concept that we are eternally justified and saved by grace and by blood. Then we experience the power of that eternal justification by faith in Christ as justification by faith eases our conscience and gives us peace in our heart. But then we have this, this other setting in this other courtroom of justification by works. We see this described in James chapter 2, particularly of Abraham. And Abraham in that context is called the friend of God. The friend of God. Now, I, I never met Abraham. We have the word of God that describes much of his life. I never met him. I can't look in, onto his heart. I don't know his eternal state. But what I can do is look at his actions. I can look at the way he conducted himself. I can look at the actions of faith that he exhibited in his life. And by looking at his life, I can say, you know what? That man was the friend of God. He wasn't the enemy of God, right? I can look at his life because he publicly manifested who he was in his heart as the friend of God. Okay? Very similar concept. If we act in this way to love our enemies and to pray for them that despitefully use us and persecute us, then we will become the children of God in a public manifest way that other people will look at us and say, that's a good guy right there. Now, I understand we know there's nothing to do with good. Not, no, not one, right? But you are manifesting. You're manifesting by your actions that there's something different about you. Now, he ties this back not just to general kindness, but to belief. Okay? Now, there are many ways in which the Spirit manifests itself in fruit in the lives of God's children, right? Love, joy, peace. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. That's an evidence of regeneration. But just because somebody gets hit on this cheek and turns the other cheek, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're exhibiting the actions of being a son of God. They may just be afraid of that person, right? That there are other reasons why they would do this. So there are other attributes that are exhibited in the lives of God's children, but the primary, the primary identifying mark of a son or a daughter of God is not just a general kindness to go the uh, extra mile or to give somebody an extra piece of clothing or to turn the other cheek. 
the identifying mark of God's children in this world to our vantage point is belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, there, are me, there will be many children of God in heaven that will not publicly confess. Every child of God will know the Lord in their heart, but they will not publicly confess Jesus because they just haven't been exposed to the gospel. They just won't know. But we have no biblical authority to provide assurance to anyone that has not professed a belief in Jesus Christ. But for those that have professed a belief in Jesus Christ, I can look at them because they are exhibiting the evidence. And I can say, because you, by public profession, manifested and came on stage by, by professing a belief, I can say that I believe that is a son or a daughter of God. Why? Because you believe. And that is an evidence that you are already a child of God. That's not how you become a child of God, right? But you are manifesting publicly. You are, you are coming out on stage. Now, we're in such a warped um, society right now. People are coming out for different reasons, right? They're not coming out and professing Jesus Christ. They're coming out in a sinful way. And how sad is it that Satan is always warping the Symbols of God that, number one, you have gay pride, which is what God hates, and the the symbol of it is a rainbow. Listen, the rainbow is a picture of grace. It's not a picture of sin, of an abomination. Back in John chapter 1, those that received him... To them gave he power to become the sons of God, to manifest publicly that you are a child of the Father. That is evidence that you have already been born again. Now, what's the means of the new birth? How are we born again? Really, when people say, I'm saved by such and such. What they're really talking about is how are you born again? Okay? Because there are multitudes of different salvations and deliverances in the Word of God. And we have to put those in the right context. But when people say, how are you saved? What they mean is, how are you born again? How are you born again? How are you regenerated? If you're Dead in sins, how, how do you have life imparted unto you? So what's the means of the new birth? What's the means of the new birth? Not of blood. This would have really stung the Jews, right? Because they felt like that they were the sons of Abraham. And because I'm a son of Abraham, I'm a son of God, right? Uh, all of my hope of heaven is either in my works or it's in my lineage of Abraham. That's what I put all my confidence in. So this would have really stung the Jews. How are you born again? How are you born again? Not by blood, not by lineage, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 9. And you know, this is really the heart of the matter when you talk about Regeneration, when you talk about salvation and people's different opinions on 
how people are saved. Really what it boils down to is the will of man versus the will of God. And what's so sad is that this verse, and when you put 12 and 13 together properly and rightly divide the word of God, it makes it very clear that the new birth is not your choice, it's God's choice, right? Instead, those exact same verses are taken to say, it is your choice. If you receive him, you know, Jesus wants more sons in heaven. And the only way he can have more sons is if you receive them. So please receive Christ. Please accept Christ so he can have more people in heaven so he can have more sons. Well, actually, that verse teaches the exact opposite, right? <laughs> How do you become a son? Not by your natural lineage, not by your choice, but by God's choice. And th- there's a reason why God used all of these examples of the new birth. Creation. You know that what's created is passive in creation, right? You know that what is given life is passive in receiving life. And there are no children that choose the parents to choose what family that they want to go and be adopted into, right? All of these examples show that we are passive and God is sovereign. God's sovereign, right? And that's... No more clear than in Romans chapter 9. Let's just start here in verse 11. The children be not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It's just amazing how we are just so prideful in our nature. You know, what's, what's, what's in the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we're so prideful. That we, even in salvation, we want to say it's our choice, not God's choice. The reason why people reject election is not because it's not in the Bible. It's not because it's difficult to understand. God's sovereignty is very simple to understand. The reality is we do not want to submit to God's will. We want to have our own will. That's what it boils down to. What, what is the means of salvation? Your will or God's will? That's what it boils down to. Well, as old Baptists, we know the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We know that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. And we can go on and on and on with all the verses that describe how wretched we are in our nature. Do I want to entrust the most important thing in all of eternity To my will, I have a lot more confidence in God's will. Why? Because God's will doesn't change. And God doesn't lie. And God cannot fail. That's a a pretty good will to be able to to entrust, right? Do I really want to... And see, that's why so many children of God are in such bondage. Because they're told that it is your will. You need to accept. You need to pray. You need to confess. And they are continually convinced that they keep doing that work wrong. Why? Because it's your will that you're, you're being told that your will is your means of salvation. Well, there's going to come a time where you're going to doubt your will, right? But there's never a time we doubt God's will. Here in Romans chapter 9, verse 13, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. 
What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. God, is, God, is God unfair? I mean, that, that's the reason that so many people want to pretend to object to election. That's not fair. That's not fair. Okay. You had a perfect man in a perfect setting. And if salvation is up to the will of the flesh and the will of man, look what happens when a perfect man had a choice. And he only had one thing, not a positive command to do. All he had to do was not do something. Okay? We had a perfect person in a perfect setting. And all he had to do was follow a negative command. Just don't do this. And even in that perfect idyllic setting, look where the will of the flesh and the will of man got us. In sin, in death, right? I mean, the whole reason we're in the mess we're in is because of the will of flesh, right? Because of the will of man. Do you really want to entrust eternal salvation to us again when the perfect man messed it up? You think, you think us as, as sinful people, we're going to get it right now? God, God gave us a shot, for the will of the flesh and the will of man. And look at look how Adam manifested how, how wretched we are. Why would we ever want to entrust our eternal salvation to our own flesh and our own will? What shall we say then? For some reason, people think that's unfair. That's not unfair. That's grace that God is gracious enough to know that we're but dust and know how frail we are and know we have no ability to come unto him in and of ourselves. So what does he do? He saves us by grace alone, right? He said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. It's God's sovereignty, okay? God's choice. I want to go to John chapter 5 to... Finish this thought and to summarize John chapter 5 and verse 24. Actually, I'm going to read verse 25 first, very similar to verses 12 and 13 in John chapter 1. You have 25 that sets the context for 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. So how are people born again? Not by their choice, by the voice of of the Son of God. Verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now, when someone believes and manifests that publicly, not just believe it in your heart, but you confess Christ. You say, I want to join the church. You, you are baptized. When you manifest that publicly, it's a reality that that is an evidence that you're already passed from death unto life. But I can look at that person and I can reach the conclusion that they have passed from death unto life, right? That's when you manifest publicly that you're a son of God, a child of God. Verse 21. For as the father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom he will. That's what it boils down to, right? Whose will is the means of regeneration. Whose will? Well, it's not our will, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, 
But it's the sovereign will of the Son of God to quicken not who performs some action, but whom He will. It's based on the will of God. And what we're, what we're seeing through this picture is that we should live in such a way to let our light shine, not to put it under a bushel, but to live in such a way and that all be undergirded by belief in Jesus Christ to where it is evident to those around us that they have passed from death into life. I mean, we can have those own assurances ourselves to say, I believe that I've passed from death into life because I love the brethren. But I can also look at the actions of others and say, you know what? I believe that they have passed from death into life. Why? Because I see them love the brethren. Paul talks in the uh, first chapter of Thessalonians, knowing brethren, beloved, your election of God. Why did he have a confidence of their election of God? Because they had publicly come onto the stage by belief of the truth. It didn't just come unto you in word only, but in power and in much assurance And I also saw your work of faith and your labor of love. And I saw how you turned from idols to serve the true and the living God. They had all of these actions that when Paul showed up in a city, you know, that's what, uh, that's what Jesus told the apostles when he sent them out two by two. And then really Paul had the same commission. When you go and preach, you're going to have one of two responses. People are going to believe it and receive you into their home and they're going to provide for you. They're going to care for you or they're going to not believe you and you just shake the dust off your feet. Okay. Well, you show up in the city. I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody in this city. I indiscriminately preach the gospel. Many people are indifferent. Some people try to kill me, but some people believe I have no, I I do not have an advanced copy on the Lamb's book of life. The Apostle Paul did not have an advanced copy on the Lamb's Book of Life. But he showed up in a city. He preached the gospel. People believed in Jesus Christ. And he had a great assurance to say, you know what? These are children of God. Why? Because they believed in Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of thing that we should want people to see our actions to draw attention. Not to ourselves, but to Christ. Okay? Everyone is trying to have attention on themselves, but we want to act in such a way that people see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven, right? And notice that language. They see your good works and they just don't say, well, oh yeah, he believes in God. No, they glorify your Father which is in heaven. Why do they believe that? Because they're seeing evidence of a son of God, right? And we pray that, All of our works would glorify God and glorify our Father which is in heaven, that they would see that and not point at us, but point uh, toward Christ. Um, But ultimately, that should be the the aim of our lives and every area of our life is so that people would see our good works and not that we would receive the attention, but that our Father would be glorified. And hopefully we can act as obedient and God-honoring, Father-honoring sons and children of God by the way we conduct ourselves and manifest that publicly by the way that we live our lives. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. 
Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.